0: The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast.
1: This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial
2: success.
3: It's the end of the year, and here we are with the best of TDI podcasts for 2022. Lots went on, lots of guests, and we have so much to share with some great insights, some great discussions, and all of this episode is going to focus in on that. So let's get it on. Episode number 797 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hey, Andrew Horowitz here, and it is the beginning of 2023. Just about to launch on a new year after a dreadful time during 2022. If anything could go wrong, well, it did. It seemed that every single sector that you look at, every area around the world, was just obliterated. It was really not fun when you are only long. Well, fortunately, many of our clients know that, well, we go back back into the discussion of being on a trend and looking at technicals, looking at the data. And even with that, it was a tough year, let's be honest. And I know very few areas beside maybe energy that we had some exposure to, some of the value side, maybe that was beneficial, possibly the shorter- duration and maturity bonds, but man, overall, it was a very difficult time. Listen, during the year, we spent a lot of time talking about that, and we had a lot of guests on each and every week, sometimes not, but most of the time we had some pretty interesting discussions with some people that you know, and we are going to take you back to that right now as a best-of discussion with the guests throughout the year, little snippets of discussions and topics and, and poignant topics of interest that I think that you really want to hear. Great refresher. I enjoyed uh, listening to these as it was put together by Ryan Radiski, who does a great job at spending his time listening to the year's worth of podcasts for The Disciplined Investor, and then finding those great nuggets to stitch together to produce what we have here today. So without further ado, here it comes right at you right now. Enjoy these discussions. So Frank Curzio, welcome back from the land of Vegas. As soon as the clock hit midnight 2000 and uh, the next year to 2022, mm-hmm. let's rise and raise the interest rates and prices on bonds plummeting. And we've seen that there's been a substantial sell off in technology that really
4: was on the heels of all this. What's going on? I think the Fed was just caught uh, on the wrong side here and they were very, very surprised, uh, which I kind of find it amazing. And and I kind of don't because I think anyone who is not an economist uh, saw this coming miles away. Anyone, everyone listening to this, anyone that pays for their, for everything that they do. uh, Maybe these guys get driven around all the time. I have no idea. But uh, when you look at economists and sometimes being extremely, extremely smart uh, is a disadvantage because a lot of times and i'm not you know picking on anybody there because i'm not smart at all but uh, a lot of times you look back historically <laughs> and we always compare everything historically right. the only problem is this never happened in history right we've never had money given directly to people of the tune of 10 and a half trillion what up to 13 trillion now, 10 and a half trillion and if you want to put that in perspective it cost 480 billion to backstop the entire financial system during a credit crisis and but that money was given directly to the banks. To backstop the banks, right? It wasn't given directly to consumers. Some of those banks didn't lend that money out. This was handed. You didn't have to work. You didn't have to do anything. If you had a job, your PP loan, PPP loan was for free. Here you go. You don't have to pay it back. You got a couple of children. Here's money. Uh, don't worry about unemployment benefits. You're going to make more money if you work. Just flooded. Right, right. Massive flood. So what do we have? We had a period that didn't take too long, Andrew, where we had peak earnings uh, going into COVID. Uh, so say, you know, the end of 2019.
3: And that was a lot and to do with the, the good economy combined with low tax rates, combined with things just
4: settling in just right. Settling just like. And we came back so quickly, right? So we're looking at just a year later, we got back to those record earnings. And we're looking at January, February. That's when we started hitting record earnings again of last year, right? So in 2021, yet we kept rates. At zero, near zero, for another, not still, right? They haven't raised rates yeah, yet. Still, and exactly. That's and the, exactly the, the point. Bond right buying there. Program, it, it, it's insane. I mean, you just injected all this money. What do you expect?
3: This week, we have a guest, Vitaly Katzenelson. You tweeted uh, some insights from Seth Klarman. You said, and it was just yesterday, you said market participants with less than 12 years of experience have never been burned and have no idea how hot the stove can get. And this has exacerbated moral hazard by masking the connection between real world events and the value of their portfolios. And without relevant recent experience, standards become lax and investors drop their guard. And finally, greater risk is willingly occur, incurred and regularly misperceived, often without adequate compensation or any
5: effort at mitigation so take it from there basically uh, if you own bonds you always made money over the last 20 years mm-hmm. you know that just almost became uh something you just well you make money you buy bonds you make a little money it was, it was, money an expect- it, was a, it was an inbred expectation yes when the price goes up because of um, you're paying more for less, and which is basically price earnings goes up, right? Not because something earns more money, but because just price earnings goes up. Then the expected return goes down. Over the last 100 years, the stocks on average made 10% a year. Mm-hmm. The 10% was made for two reasons. Because economy grew about 6% a year on nominal basis, roughly. Mm-hmm. And, and investors collected dividends I mean, I'm sorry, so the stock prices went up six percent a year.
3: and the economy was so going on, things were good, stock price went up, and now dividends too
5: okay mm-hmm. the, but there was an x factor over any period of time, and the x factor was price earnings. suddenly, when the price earnings goes up you know goes up, then instead of making six percent a year on stocks, I'm just talking about stock price uh, you suddenly making more because in, you know because the the price to earnings, how much you were, uh, investors were paying for this unit of earnings has increased. And I guess today is Thomas
3: Thornton. He's a former portfolio manager, senior trader and technical analyst. But one of the things I left off right before we got to you was the whole notion that somewhere along the, the line, there was this idea that the economic cycle, the traditional economic cycle from peak to trough and from uh, expansion to contraction, and that uh, we have only a rally, of mode of the markets, no longer are we going to see bear markets, has been broken because of the brilliance of the Fed. How
6: say you? Well, the Fed and the government, uh, they're pretty good at creating problems that they end up then try to look good by solving them. And I've found that, um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but creating more debt to solve other debt problems is not necessarily a great solution. (laughs) And now the fed is, they painted themselves into a corner by overstimulating. We've got runaway inflation and now they're, they're panicking and they have to raise rates. And it's now almost consensus that they're going to raise 50 basis points in March. And I think that the market overall, has not necessarily priced that in. And my view is that the reality is that people have never seen an inflationary market with the Fed tightening. It's just something that has never happened in many people's careers. And I'm 56, and I can remember back in the 70s, and I was just, you know, a young kid, but inflation was runaway. And my family had people in the money management business, and they were private investors. And inflation was the biggest fear that they had. We're going to go into a
3: discussion with this week's guest, Steve Lieb. Welcome, Steve. How are you?
7: Hi, Andrew. I guess as well as can be expected, uh, this world is not what I had hoped it would be. Well, it's what I thought it would be, but not certainly not what I hoped it would be. You know, when historians write the, uh, the, the history of these times, either China will be, uh, uh, you know, the villain, I guess, for America, or they, they, they could be the hero because it might be because of China that we readopt monetary discipline. I mean, the point that I made in my book was that uh, basically uh, this all started 50 years ago when we went off the gold standard. I mean, if you look at America post-war uh, up through the early 70s, uh, you, you, you can uh, make a case that America was possibly the greatest economy that ever was. Yeah. It rivaled the best days of the Roman Empire. Uh, the only time that, uh, the only real rival, I, you know, in the Western world, this part of the globe, would have been America uh, post-Civil War. We were also a great economy. And in the industrial
3: then. revolution you're talking about in that kind of. Yeah, sort of
7: when we, when we started to rise and become a major power right. and by the time, between the uh, end of the uh, civil wars, maybe 10, five, 10 years after, and the beginning of the first world war, I mean, America was, you know, basically uh, pivotal in the first world war. I mean, it was a amazing transformation. Uh, and the, you know, if you look at both those periods, Andrew, what you find is in both of them, we were on a gold standard.
3: And our guest today is Jason Rasnick. He's the founder of Benzinga. Hey, Andrew Horowitz, disciplined investor. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you pronounced it great. Take me to the beginning of how this all started, because I remember it, but it's really grown in a lot of different ways and a lot of different areas, uh, f- fanned out, I guess I would, I would say. Take me to the back of how Benzinga started.
8: Okay, well, we'll start. was um, started because I thought there was a hole in the small cap space back when I was in Michigan, University of Michigan. I lived on East University, so I was say I did this hedge fund, East Capital. I'd reach out to small cap CEOs, and then I'd start posting Yahoo message boards. I started amassing a large audience that when I wrote stuff, stocks moved. But I didn't realize what I had like like that I was actually good at what I was doing. So um, you know, and I. Um, and so I, many years later, I said there should be a news service for small cap stocks, but not just a news service. There's smart people around the world, so let's crowdsource their intelligence into Benzinga and tr- exchange trade ideas. So there's people that are experts in the cannabis space, telecom space, industrials, and you know they're not just analysts at Wall Street banks. So I wanted to level the playing field for the average row, bring the smartest people around together in the small cap space to help people find alpha because a lot of people aren't covering these small cap stocks. Right. I was, I was really good at it. I, I honestly, I still would hold that I could out research someone when, you know, someone puts me to it on a stock. Um, and, and so that's the kind of the, the genesis of why Benzinga as an idea platform existed. Then there's a company called thinkorswim, which Ameritrade bought out it was run by Tom Saznoff. Yep. He loved our content and he licensed our content. This is, I mean, that, that's a pretty amazing story.
3: I mean, obviously, it's not just content, though, because when, when I say not just it, content, it, it, it is it's content. It's data. It's data. No, it is. Right,
8: right, right. Data, right. too. we If you're using Robinhood or using other platforms, Yahoo Finance, you're using our data, earnings data. When a company reports earnings, analysts ratings, they're licensing that from us. And our special guest
3: today is Michael Covell. He searches, he digs, he goes behind the curtain to reveal a state of mind that
0: yes. systems don't want you in. Mike, what does that mean? And welcome. <laughs> it, means, it means that most people have a mountain of propaganda shit thrown at them 24 and 7 nonstop today. And I'm not so sure how people, unless they have a serious background in media and politics, have any earthly idea what's going on. You question the legitimacy.
3: I mean, really question the legitimacy of a lot of the things that you see these days, right? I
0: question the legitimacy of everything. Mm. I, I don't think I don't think right now we, we are completely in a world of nonstop agendas, messaging, propaganda. And if someone doesn't understand that and they're trying to make bets, market bets, money bets with their hard earned capital. And they're trying to do that based on voices they might hear on, you know, CNN or Fox or Bloomberg or CNBC. If they're trying to make bets on that, good luck. I mean, you might as well go to Vegas. Vegas might be more fun. The cow's even more fun than Vegas. It seems like people don't really care about their money anymore.
3: They're just throwing it out there. Do you get that sense for a lot of people?
0: I guess it all depends. It all depends on which individual we're talking about. But if I was to take an explanation, just a real simple explanation of trend following, imagine you're on a desert Island. You don't have anything except the ticker tape and you get a daily closing price for let's say the biggest equities all the currencies, the metals, the commodities, the eggs. Can you use that information to trade effectively? Which means you have no information except that. And that's where trend following comes into play because trend following is using only that information to trade. So, I mean, right now, historically, okay, with inflation, etc., uh, a potential World War III, this does seem to be a little bit of a heightened moment, but you can't allow yourself to trade off that because then you're just gambling. So the, so the issue becomes... When all this starts to happen, you have to have in place something that allows you to take advantage of these commodity moves. That allows you to take advantage of when Facebook or whatever they're calling it now, Meta, drops 50%. The strategy has to be in place before it happens. If you're sitting there getting panicked, right, when it's all going one way or the other, and you don't know what to do, that's like a cue to maybe step back. The markets are always going to be there, but come back with a strategy.
3: And our guest today is Dr. Richard Smith of Risk Myth, one of the founders, to uh look at how to, well, to level the playing field for individual investors. And according to Dr. Smith, most people have no idea how powerful of a tool good risk management really is. Dr. Smith, how are you?
7: I'm doing great, Andrew. It's great to be with you. How are you?
3: I'm good. It's been a while since you've been uh since you've been on. So what do you think was the spark that change things from a rather laissez-faire attitude about, well, I'm putting my investments over there and they're doing something that one day, maybe or maybe not, they'll do well, but I'm hoping and praying and to a much more focused structure of of being involved with their investments for the, when I say younger, it's just, let's say, the, you know, the, the current generation's.
7: Bitcoin.
3: Oh, really? That did it all. Yeah. That that in itself somehow did it. Why was it the <laughs> the notion of all the potential for easy riches, or the potential for all the other things that come along with the the idea of a, uh, a independent, non controlled, decentralized, blah 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 blah. All that.
7: Now, what Bitcoin did was it introduced the idea of um, digital sovereignty, so that you could control digital assets, a purely digital assets, purely digital assets, right? With private keys. So they could be, they can be exchanged in public, right? You can have a public um, component to your control, but you own the private keys. So this opened up a whole new world of, um, and that's particularly appealing to young people because it connects to gaming, Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, gaming, we live in the gaming economy, Andrew, I'm convinced.
3: And our guest today, as I mentioned, is Frank Curzio. I want to talk about the war. The one thing that fascinates me is we are hearing from military and defense ministers that are sharing their battle plans on social media and with the press and with the news. You don't do that when life is on the line. The Russian defense minister recently said that the forces near Kiev And Chernihiv are regrouping to focus on Donbass region. Now, I don't know. It seems to me that in even a game of checkers, you're not going to tell your opponent
4: what you're doing. What the hell's going on? I mean, how it is, is Putin's really been kicking the crap out of us, right? I mean, it's, the playbook was very simple for him. He knew exactly what was going to happen with sanctions. If you look at when they took over, uh, Georgia, uh, same thing. What happened is they had sanctions, uh, their currency crashed, uh, and, and same thing happened with, with Crimea. So they knew the game plan, and what do they do? He's like, okay, well, we're going to line up our whole entire forces. We're going to take them over, and it's going to look like this whole thing. Like we might not do it aware, but once we do it, we know that no one can stop us as long as long as Ukraine is not part of NATO. Ukraine just, you know, poked the bear, and the bear struck back. I'm not saying that I agree with him. I'm not a Putin fan. The same. Putin had the whole entire playbook. He knew that we can't do anything because he controls energy, They're the largest exporter of energy in the world, the largest exporter, right? The producer, they ranked number three, which is very, very high. They had the game plan in place. I mean, just to see how this is going along and how you see in stories like Putin's lost it. He's crazy. I don't think he understood the impact of the entire world or well, most of the world, right, going against him. And- right. The
3: sanctions in this case are a lot stronger than they were.
4: They were a lot stronger than they were. But yeah. st- if you look at the decline in their currency, it's the same. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason why if you look at 2014, look at 2014, how much treasuries they own compared to right now, they hardly own any treasuries. Okay. This is in the works for a while, Like this is probably going to happen. So uh, even by, if you're looking at, at reports and military reports, same thing. So for me, it's, you know, you want to go back and forth and look at different things. How does this impact you, right? Us. And it's impacting us because we're paying much higher energy prices, which hurts all companies because all companies have to raise prices to account for that and raise So that's going to increase inflation even further. You're looking at, which is very, very important, is food. They're a big exporter of food uh, and agriculture, and you're seeing agriculture companies. So if you position yourselves in the right way, where inventory levels for commodities are at 30-year lows. And our guest today is Octavio
3: Morenzi. He's co-founder and CEO of Opimus, and he directs the firm's research in the area of equities trading, asset management, regulation. More information, of course, at Opimus, O-P-I-E. M-A-S dot com. Let's talk about as a backdrop. um, Tell me about what's different about the markets, the capital markets, the process today versus, let's say, even five years ago and maybe even 10 years ago. Let's start with what you're seeing. There's got to be differences, right? Significant differences, I would say, Right.
9: You, you know, these these things might move uh, more slowly than you think. So if, if I were to really compare the markets now uh, to 10 years ago, I'm not sure you'd see that much difference. Uh, but what happens is there's sort of periods where there's a very rapid evolution and then there's sort of a stasis that might last many years where sort of the dust settles and, and the winners and losers appear. I suppose you could make the argument in the past 10 years, cryptocurrencies and digital assets of that sort of appeared and that's sort of a new asset class. But if you look at sort of the your run-of-the-mill equities markets and, and bond markets, not really that much has changed. I mean, there's been a shift to, to high frequency trading, to sort of algorithmic trading and things of that sort. But that was well underway already 10 years ago, even more. So I don't know if there's been that much of a radical change in the last 10 years. If you go back maybe further 15, 20 years, then you can see some very, very big differences and big shifts in terms of how capital markets were stru- structured. But the fundamental structuring is about the same. There's some new regulations, there's some new requirements here and there that need to be taken into account. Uh, but overall, it's the, the basic structure of it has been fairly static, I would say the past 10 years, we've seen a shift to basically free trading. So that's a big shift on the retail side where basically, you don't pay to trade anymore, you trade as much as you want, and you don't pay anything anymore. And so you have to scratch your head a bit and sort of think, well, how are these guys making money? If if I'm not paying anything, they must be making it up someplace else. Um, so I guess those are shifts we've seen. Now I'm starting to think about shifts and change we've seen over the course of the past 10 years. That's sort of a dramatic shift that we've and change that we've seen. Uh, the rise of the retail investor, the rise of crypto, free trading. Those, I think, that are the major things that we've seen. And maybe a bit of an internationalization where investors are more likely to look overseas for investment opportunities as well. So I think those are the, yeah. the basic shifts we've seen.
3: And our guest today is Claire Flynn Levy. She's the founder of Essentia Analytics, which is a leading provider of behavioral data analytics and consulting for professional investors. And it's led by a team of experts in investment management, technology, and behavioral sciences. Um, are you Are you finding that people are having a difficult time, the professionals, with some of their standard processes?
2: Yeah. I mean, it is it is rough out there. And, you know, market dislocations... Are like that you know so from our customer base is mostly equity fund managers right. hedge fund managers and long only fund managers so they're you know this is their day job um and <laughs> they are the q1 was rough like really rough and it was because everything you knew to be true or everything that that sort of underpinned uh, your process was just like not it wasn't working like that anymore and it right. was very confusing and that does happen. I mean, I remember that happening when I was a fund manager in uh, you know, like two late, late two thousand, early one, mm-hmm. um, a long time ago now. But you know, when the market shifts gears, it's it's ruthless for a while there, and things get very, very noisy. When is it appropriate to bail from a process? Well, I mean, it depends on your strategy and your and your philosophy but when your investment when your thesis is being proven wrong with evidence obviously that's a good time to just say enough is enough you might have made money in the in the stock you might be taking profits right at that point that Uh you realize that happens usually that's not what happens usually people only realize it when they're losing money and then it's a bitter pill to swallow and you're you're You know, you can rationalize your way into letting your thesis drift, you know, and and overruling the, the idea that, no, you know what, the reason we bought this was this, and it turned out not to be true, so we better get out.
3: And as promised, our guest today is Frank Curzio from Curzio Research. You're here. Welcome. How are you?
4: Doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me back on, man. I mean, it's uh, tough conditions in the market and a lot of people losing money. I think everyone's really losing money in the market right now. It's, it's tough conditions, but, uh, you know, if, if you're following your stops and being safe right now is the best time in the world to have cash because there's a lot of companies that, that are selling for, for big discounts, especially if you're looking a whole longer than, uh, than 12 months. And, and that's what you want to be. You want to you have cash in the bank when you have markets like this. So yeah. uh, for us, it's kind of exciting times. We had some valuations
3: that were freaking insane. Let's be honest. They were insane some of the valuations, right?
4: And look, so not only were they insane, but they were being justified because you have super low rates. I and mean, when you have super low rates, you could borrow, you could leverage. And that's what's going on right now. It's the deleveraging because, you know, you probably own companies that are like, hey, you know what? I own Google. That just reported pretty good numbers two, two quarters in a row. I mean, that is, that's great, but good numbers. And there's a lot of companies that reported good numbers and they're down 20%, 25%. You know, some stocks, SPACs, and, you know, speculative stuff with the garbage valuations, we did down 70, 80% plus. But the reason is, is when you're when you're in a market that so much cash was just given to people and handed to people, uh, you know, and, and then your low interest rates uh, allows you to multiply that by a factor of how much, right? Several mm-hmm, times. Mm-hmm. When you see the leveraging, people are forced to sell their good stuff in order to cover those margin calls and and to pay off that debt, and that's what you're seeing. So even the good names are getting nailed, which provides great opportunities. It provides opportunities all the time. We see this in 2000. We start the credit crisis. We start during COVID, and we're seeing it now. It might take a little bit longer, but uh, you know, once inflation works out and it will, it will ease. in Yeah, a little let's bit talk longer. about
3: that. Because I do, I do, by the way, I do agree with you that there is something to be said about the potential for opportunities being created when everybody else is panicking, right? There are cer- certain things, l- let's also be honest, there are certain things that are being flushed out. The crap is being flushed down the toilet right now. Mm-hmm. It was strange when I found this, but we do a mm-hmm. quarterly screening of equities for a core positioning in our managed growth strategy, right? Our, our aggressively trading uh, slash core equity holding can go long, short. We have a ca- big cash buffer right now. But the thing is that we have more stocks right now than I've ever seen that have come through that screen. How is that?
4: Uh it's because everything is getting hit. Like I said, when you're deleveraging, you're going to see even the good names get hit. When, people forget during, during the credit crisis, was, I think it got up to 22%, 23% of the S P 500 traded under $10 a share. didn't matter what you own. That's why you're looking at a market. A lot of people have not lived through a bear market before, and this is a bear market. And, and you could say we're in a recession now. It doesn't matter how you define a recession or whatever it is, two straight quarters of negative GDP growth. We're, we're basically in a recession right now. If you're looking at what oil prices are, people cutting back, we are. I, I mean, it feels like a recession. Yeah, it doesn't matter no, no if, question what the definition is, right? It definitely feels like a recession. It's probably going to last a little bit longer here. But, it, you know, during these times when you see everything sell off, like, and, and the timing couldn't come worse because a lot of people did well last year up to November, November, December, that's when the market started getting right. hit. But a lot of people had big gains. And then what happened? You have to pay a big tax bill. And you're paying a big tax bill when everything started crashing. And you're like, holy cow, man, I'm down like 30% of my portfolio and I gotta pay all these taxes. What are you doing? You're selling some of your best holdings, selling out some of your portfolio to pay those taxes. And now you're seeing that where people are just like, you know what? I have good names that are getting destroyed right now. I'm just selling these things. I'm going on the sidelines until this thing eases. And that's what you're seeing. What is it, 2 trillion on balance sheets? Uh, you know, more more than ever, you're seeing insider buying through the roof. Which doesn't mean it's necessarily a bottom. In January 2009, uh, we saw it same similar insider buying. The last time it was this high, and they were wrong for the first three months. The market came down, but they were actually you know turned out to be right because it shot back up next couple of months, and you know the S and P 500 tripled from there. So you know you're seeing the buying come in. You're seeing balance sheets flush with cash. You're seeing banks have about four or five times more capital than having a balance sheet due to, to, you know, Dodd-Frank rules and things like that. So it's a different market. We're seeing inflation, but we're at much stronger times where, you know, we're just waiting for inflation to ease because that's a killer for everybody. High energy prices is a killer for everybody. We just need to see these things ease and they will, but obviously it's taking a lot longer than expected because the Fed was caught on the wrong side of the aisle here. Let's start talking
3: about what our guest is all about. How's that? And that's Danielle DiMartino Booth, who's the founder and CEO of Quill Intelligence. And she created this to set out to uh, do basically a research revolution, redefining how markets and uh, the information is conceived and delivered. Your thoughts about what's going on right now, how does that look for you? Uh,
10: Right now, uh, if I had to describe... What the day to day is at Quill Intelligence? We, we publish eight times a week. Uh, is I'm on the defensive. I, I am I'm constantly defending our position that the United States has entered recession, and it, it. I feel like that. I feel like that the the Greek mythological character that had to push the the boulder up the mountain every day, uh, because there is the the, the conviction among sell side analysts that. We absolutely cannot have this recession thing begin until 2023 or 2024 <laughs> based on their models and the models of their future bonuses. Um, so it, but, but that's what I, that's what I'm doing these days. And it's getting easier and easier. The boulder getting smaller.
3: But who cares? Who cares if we label it right now three weeks from now, two weeks ago or a year from now, if we're in a recession, if it looks, smells, tastes, and acts like a recession in various parts. Because, it's you know, the culmination, what is a recession, too? That's the other question, right? Different, different uh, definitions. But it's like, is it so important that we put the word, it's a bear market now, versus everything seems to be a bear market, so therefore it is?
10: I You know what? I, I think that labeling right now is really important. And I completely empathize with what you're saying. Uh, I mean, it's semantics are, they're, they're worthless, but I think at this juncture, we have to remember that Jay Powell made comments in 2018, 2019, I can't remember exactly when, I think it was 2019, that it was conceivable that if monetary policy was, was in the, it was in the right position, was in the right place, that the business cycle could, could be eradicated. Oh,
3: oh, don't, oh, you want yeah, yeah. you want to go there, huh?
10: I'm just I'm I'm just saying that that until this because the, the, the bond market is is cluing in and that's why we're seeing long rates come down. The bond market yeah. is like okay I, this is capitulation. We're in recession, but the stock market's not going to believe it until they're told we're in recession.
3: So as I promised, we are going to spend some time today with our guest Vitaly Katznelson. He is, as I talked about at the top, an author. He's an investor and an investor, a student of life. He's the CEO of IMA, which is Investment Management Associates. So you started out, and let's just take you through take us through some of this. We, some of us know this, uh, and I know that there's been a difficult time for you um, emotionally and intellectually yeah. because you're from Russia, yeah. and um, you came there in, in your early years mm-hmm. and um, you, 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 you became uh, very much uh, observational of, of your surroundings. Tell me about like the first part of this book, the student of life section.
5: Yeah. So the, the one of the most important things that happened to me as an adult, you know, aside from having kids and getting married, this kind of thing, writing. And writing basically gave me introspection. It, you know, I've been, you know, so the, I think Plato said, or Aristotle, I forget one of them, who said, uh, unexamined life is not worth living, or something like this. Uh, or, so, or, you know, so writing basically allowed me to examine my life. And by writing, I've been, but, so I write every single day, two hours a day in the morning. And that forces me to think. Sometimes about subjects that I wouldn't think otherwise. And um, that's a and that's actually, a big commitment. It is, but I enjoy it. So yeah. I, you know, I I, if some people exercise, some people you know swim. You you write. Oh, or, or you can say some people watch soccer, football, and yeah. hockey, yeah. and golf. I, you know, that's what I do, and, and 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 I really enjoy it. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with those hobbies. It's just this gives me more satisfaction, and but right. So the. So writing about topics uh, helped me to understand them better, maybe. And also I thought about, because writing is just focused thinking, right? Because Mm. you sit in front of a computer, I have my headphones on and I just think. It's like, and uh, I push the outside world out and I'm just focusing on the sentence and focusing on the next letter I'm going to type. And that forces you to come up with new ideas, rethink things that you thought before. And let's
3: bring on our guest, Frank Curzio, and uh, talk with him because I think that uh, he's going to have a lot to share and talk about. An old friend of mine, been on the show. So I want to warm us up. You know, sometimes uh, you got a warm-up in a show, right? You know, you get the audience warm-up. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-uh. Kelly, you know what I'm talking about? You got to get it going. And one of the things you do in your show that you've been doing for years, you have this kind of interesting, unique way of introducing your show, right? You have this, mm-hmm. this delayed thing you do. You, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> can
4: you, can you, can you yes, give Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. You do. About.
3: Do you really? Because I want you just, could you bear with me for thirty seconds or so? I want our audience to hear that. Can we do that?
4: Yes, please. Okay, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. It's August third. And I'm Frank Karugis, the Wall Street and Pub Podcast, where I break down the headlines and... Here we go, Frank. <laughs> I
3: love it.
0: I love it. Gets
3: better, Frank. Yeah, thank Chris Wilson for uh, this overdub. Uh, Ten more seconds.
4: And- and tell you what's really moving these markets. There you go, Frank. You, D- D- how oh you like that? D- I tell you, I love it, but I wish I had as much time as you have to do that, bro. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is our good friend Chris Wilson from Down Under who uh, put that together. We saw we were listening to that gun. You know, I was thinking, that New Order song is a perfect fit for that Frank delayed and what's really moving the markets sting and There you go, Frank.
4: You know what's funny? Let me tell you a quick story about it. So when I did it, it was kind of like, ah, it's a little – I've been doing this just almost as long as you, probably six months, right? The difference where you have the oldest podcast in in business finance but uh, for 15 years, but – yeah, and I did it and it was like, you know, people were making fun of it. And when people make fun of it from New York, you want to do it even more, right? Because oh, yeah. it's almost like you're pissing off people. And then <laughs> one time at a conference uh, when I was working for Stansberry at the time, they had three, 400 people in the audience. And I got up there and they said, you know, see if you can do a live podcast. I had a guest and I just went up there and I said, yeah, I started it out. And as I said, what's and everybody like finished the whole entire thing. And I was like, wow. I was like, I was just blown away. I was like, maybe some people do like it. But yeah, you make fun of it. You like it. Well, it's pretty cool. I, said, I like I the to
3: version to we put together the best so far.
4: By far. <laughs> that was great, man.
3: I love it. And as promised, our guest today is Peter Schiff. He's the CEO and global strategist of Euro-Pacific Capital. You know, one of the things that you had said recently uh, is you don't think the Fed can beat the current inflationary pressures America is dealing with today. You said, quote, not only can't the Fed win a fight against inflation without causing a recession, it can't do so without causing a far worse financial crisis than the one we had in 2008.
11: Yeah, that's that's true, because uh, we have a lot more debt than we had in 2008. And during that time, there really was no big inflation problem, at least none that you know, people could detect. Uh, but, you know, rates went up to about five percent, even without inflation. And that, you know, pricked the bubble because we had a lot of debt that was non-serviceable at that level of interest rates, and it caused asset prices to collapse and people defaulted on their debt. Well, in order to you know put this inflation genie back in the bottle, mm. rates are going to have to go a lot higher than 5%. I mean, even though the Fed is talking about eventually bringing them up to three and a half, maybe four, that's still inadequate for the job. They, they need uh, much higher rates than that. But we can't afford much higher rates than that. In fact, I don't even think we can afford the rates that we got right now, given the enormity of the debt. We have so much more debt than we had in 2008. So it's a much better, bigger bubble. So even a smaller pin would prick it. And in fact, we're already in a recession, you know, and that's- Wait, 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 wait.
3: Ah, you and I are old school guys, right? So we believe what we were taught in eco 101, 102, and 103 maybe, and 202 maybe. Uh, is that you have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, and that is a definition of recession. But somehow things change, and uh, the the calculation for, let's say, inflation changes. The calculation for employment changes with the labor participation rate. And now the latest thing, well, one of the latest things is the the, the actual calling of a recession is no
11: longer what we thought it was, right? Well, it's still what we think it was. It's just that the government wants to pretend it's something else uh, and the media is going along with it. I mean, they never would have gone along with it if Trump tried this. Uh, But the Biden administration is able to whitewash this recession, change the definition to claim that we're not in one. And even the chairman of the Federal Reserve is going along with it. Obviously, there's no independence there. He's simply saying what the Biden administration is telling him to say. And so everybody is just trying to pretend the recession doesn't exist. But it does exist, and it's actually going to get much worse. Eventually, it'll be so bad that they're going to have to stop pretending, and then eventually the Fed is going to do something about it. But what it does about it is actually going to make it worse because it's going to throw gasoline on the inflation fire that it's not even going to come close to putting out.
3: David Cavanaugh, he's the president of uh, and the general partner um, responsible for overseeing all operation activities um, since the formation of Dearborn Capital. Um, he uh, also works with Grant Park Funds. Um, he has a long history of working in the commodities markets, and we're going to talk to him about alternative investing.
12: Well, I, I guess the way I would define it is any investment that is not a – you know, buy, hold and hope strategy, uh, that there is some sort of active management associated with it. Uh, I know some people will say farmland is an alternative investment. Uh, gold is, you know, there, there's a number of things that are out there. But, um, you know, the way I would describe it is that there's some sort of active investment behind uh active management of the investment so that uh, it can go in either direction. It, you know, you can profit from up markets, you can profit from down markets. Uh, you know, the the one thing I would say probably absolutely flat markets across a spectrum of investments would be hard for anyone to make money. Really, there's only one strategy I'm aware of. That would be option writing. And we don't, you yeah, know. I started to think about this years ago with the idea
3: that diversification is, okay, I'll go with don't have all your eggs in one basket. I'm, I'm good with that. However, I wanted to also expand the concept into other uh, areas of not only differing assets, but differing ways to handle those assets. So that in theory, the idea of more active trading is a diversifier, um, potentially going uh, into a position of um, a different asset class that also has active management versus passive is a diversifier.
12: How do you feel about that? That's the hallmark of it. You know, try to get it in different sectors, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you just don't you know sit, hold, and hope that the product goes up or that your trade uh, or investment make money. Uh, now, obviously, the more you trade, the less capacity those, those uh, strategies have. But I, I think the hallmark, I agree, is, is active management.
3: And our guest today is Thomas Thornton. He's the president of Hedge Fund Telemetry. One of the things that I'm finding, and I've talked about this a few times and touched on it, I have this, I don't know if it's just some jaded opinion. The market seems really amateurish these days. Am I, is this something I'm just being silly about?
6: So my view on that is, yes, the market is a little bit um, amateurish. Uh, You have a lot of, you have a lot of new people that, that have gotten into the markets in the last couple of years. And a lot of those people will chase whatever's green that day. And then when that ends, they'll move on to something new. So there's really not a lot of fundamental or even, you know, very disciplined, technical analysis that's been happening. So it's, um, it's a tough market where you had a lot of people, like I said, that came in over the last couple of years and there's huge volumes that came in. Um, and those people have not necessarily sold their stuff from the flows that I watch. So it's a, um, it's a market in progress that I think is, um, that, that could get a little bit more dicey. I hate to say that I'd like to be bullish, but um, honestly, it's, um, it's just something I've watched over the years. I've seen this play out. Right. That whole junction
3: of emotional mix that happens.
6: Yeah, that is a, that is a very, very good point because, you know, the stages of what you see in markets that go up and down are very similar. And I like to, you know, talk about, Elliot wave and Elliot wave. I, don't hang up yet. Don't stop. They have personalities. No I'm kidding. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, they have personalities in, within each wave, and if you can identify those, what's happening, uh, they, it actually makes a lot of sense. And the best way for people to look at it is just to go to Wikipedia, type in Elliot wave, and look at it, and you'll basically understand what's happening. So for the first wave down. Everybody thought it was just a great buy-the-dip opportunity. We broke that next look. We we bounced lower high, wave two. That failed, went back down to wave three. And people started getting more bearish. And we just had a little bit of a bounce just recently. That's wave four. And now we could be possibly, uh, if we break the recent lows in wave five, where people really acknowledge that things are bad. And that's when you start to see the heavy selling and that's that's what I'm watching right now. That's the personality. I'm, I am I'm a big fan of looking at market sentiment uh, and what's happening and what people are saying and and ultimately what they're doing. And as promised this week, our
3: guest today is Ross Gerber from Gerber Kawasaki. Ross, a lot of things have been happening, of course. I mean, that's obvious. Uh, headwinds abound. Where we, I mean, there's there's no, there's no lack of headwinds. Really like Uh, one headwind, right? Which one is
13: that? Jerome. Uh, Oh, well, yeah, he's, he's a blowhard more than a headwind, right? He's a blowhard because he's like 150 basis points behind the market. This is the most ridiculous job in the world. Like a Fed governor. What exactly is that? But they're all kind of
3: weenies and they are pandering to a, a God that they don't really understand and which is
13: right. 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 I mean, I'm saying that they don't understand. I think people who work for the government make a choice and they made this choice for a reason. So I think the fed is a group of people who want attention and power, like major financial investors. And the way they do this is through getting power through the government it is
3: a problem uh, and and, uh, that, and 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 the problem is also i think bigger when they start trying to weave in social uh, rights God. and wrongs and trying to somehow believe that if they change the interest rates that'll be better for a certain class of individuals or not yeah, like it's, it's going to sure. help out a an underprivileged area in Idaho by changing interest rates or adding liquidity through quantitative
13: easing it's it's insanity right right it's insanity and so like like poor people don't have mortgages in the first place. So lowering rates doesn't help them. And then stupid rates throws them out on the streets. Right. So now Powell's goal is to help poor people lose their jobs and homes. And that will slow the economy. That's all he can do is fire poor people because the wealthy never really suffer when rates go up or down. So what he's doing right now is he's adding, he's added about, I'm going to say several, like a hundred billion plus or more to cost to the government and higher rates on the 30 trillion in Mm -hmm. debt. He's now added enormous costs to homeowners with adjustable rate, you know, seconds and things like that. People want to buy cars, people want to buy houses. Right. So the real estate market is stopped right now. It's just like stopped on a dime. Mm -hmm. 6% mortgages. Nobody wants to do that. And, and like, so Powell and them aren't looking into the future at all. They're looking at August CPI data. Like oh. that's like literally irrelevant
3: at this point. And our guest today is Danielle DiMartino Booth. Let me give you a little bit about Danielle. She is the founder of Money Strong LLC, an economic consulting firm. She began a career in New York at DLJ, as we call it. Let, let's, let's kind of wind this back. And I want to set the stage, even though we've talked about this a little bit about your time at the Fed and... um I want to ask you something a little different than, than, than we've talked about before, but I want to talk about when you, when you were thinking about working and being involved in working at the Fed, I want to know what you were thinking before you actually worked there. And then I'd like you to bridge that to what you really figured out what was going on by the time you left.
10: So, you know, um, my, my father, may he rest in peace, taught economics and finance uh, I always held the Federal Reserve in high regard. I always felt it was it was an institution um, that deserved the respect of the um, American people and that it was critical to where the economy and the financial markets were headed and um, I was not wrong about the critical role that the Fed plays but clearly given the subtitle why? You know, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is, is bad for America. I, I left with a different opinion of the institution than what I had when I walked in the door.
3: Hmm. Let's just say it wasn't as you didn't hold them in high regard. I guess a-
10: <laughs> it, it was. It was. I, I was no longer fawning. I was no longer intimidated, and I was no longer impressed.
3: Yeah. You know? So uh, it seems like there is this kind of uh gentleman's agreement concept, this double secret probation, secret handshake, that information that is provided and talked about uh, and the the theories and the uh, inside information is held secret for life once you're in. Is that is that true to that? That's the way I feel. It, it seems to me.
10: There is. I, in fact, it's very unusual. We're in a very unusual chapter in Fed history. Because there are so many former insiders who are now speaking more freely than they have in the past, i.e. Bill Dudley, who used to run the New York Fed. He's highly critical of Jerome Powell and the way he has led the Fed, and, and he's public about it. So there, there's a break in the orthodoxy, I think, uh, you know, whether it's Rich Clarida or Randy Quarles' very recent uh Governors on the Federal Reserve Board—they're also uh, very, very public. And but whereas I used to be alone in that boat, Uh, don't get me wrong—I sing a different tune than any of them. But when you speak about the idea of reverence for life, of of keeping the secrets, of of not translating what they're talking about into plain English, once you do that, you're like, oh my gosh, they're a bunch of boring academics who are completely model-driven, even if their model is broken.
3: And our guest today is David Ackerman. He's a lawyer. So, David, we had you on a while ago, right? It's been a while.
14: Oh, yeah, it's been definitely a long a couple, time. A couple, and- years, I
3: think. Two years, maybe? So, the whole FTX thing, you know, is it, it, it was all of the, uh, all the things that seemed really odd with not only Sam Bankman freed, but his whole entourage living on a weird... You know, penthouse floor in some hotel slash condo in in the Bahamas, which, of course, he did it because of the offshore nature of that. You know, you have offshore companies because you couldn't mix U.S. citizens utilizing non-U.S. platforms and vice versa, right? Um, did the whole thing stink to high health for you or, as you wrote recently— it's a shock to the entire industry. Parallel is to the Bernie Madoff. He was a phenomenal talent with a stellar track record. Like those in traditional finance who didn't see Madoff, we did not see SBF coming.
14: So if, if people believe that this person being weird was the only reason that we should have seen this coming, then you haven't been around crypto very long there are some odd personalities in this industry.
3: Why is that? Wait, well, let's stop right there. Why is
11: that?
14: It's, it's an interesting question. Okay. Because there's crypto in and of itself. Cryptocurrencies is really just a subset of this idea of blockchain technology and blockchain technology is based off of cryptography. It's based off of math. It's based off of computer science and computer engineering and You tend to get in these areas some very interesting personalities. Um, Now, obviously, that's not always the case. I'm not trying to disparage or talk down about anyone that choose these fields. They're brilliant, brilliant individuals, but have these boisterous personalities more often than not, especially the ones that are particularly successful. So the idea that SBF was an anomaly. And that's a reason we should have been looking at this person harder is just, it shows a complete lack of understanding of the actual space itself.
3: And our guest today is Ben Hunt. Ben Hunt, the master linguist, the game theory expert, the market and general historian, the deaf storyteller, the seeker of irony, co-founder and partner of Second Foundation Partners and creator of Epsilon Theory. All right, let's talk about uh, another grift So we're going back to what we talked about In 2020 which was all about uh, Let's get all the money from the government And screw everybody along the way And that was everybody's thesis right So now we have another grift that you've been talking about Which is FTX right?
1: Would you call, Would you classify that as a grift? Oh it's an old fashioned con I mean it is, it is In the In the same realm as Enron uh, It's got elements of WorldCom oh. in it, if, you know, you and some of your listeners can, you know, remember back to, to Bernie Eber's days at WorldCom. Mm-hmm. It's got elements of uh, certainly Bernie Madoff. It's got elements of Lehman Brothers. It's got elements of MF Global. So it's it's like a, a greatest hits version of all the big uh, financial cons over the, over the last couple of decades. So you wrote about
3: um, the MacGuffin, And everybody has a MacGuffin, which I think bears a moment for you to kindly explain. explain.
1: (laughs) Sure. Sure. Well, I actually, the, the, the idea of a MacGuffin, it comes from Hollywood. And the fact is that every movie you've ever seen has a MacGuffin. And a MacGuffin, Alfred Hitchcock was the one who, you know, really was first talking about this. It is the object of desire. So it's the thing in a movie, the idea, the thing, the, well, shiny, whatever it is. Shiny that, penny, that people, the shiny penny? Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's the thing that, that people want and that the entire plot revolves around, mm. right? So it could be, you know, there's some obvious examples, the Maltese Falcon, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, yeah. the, the MacGuffin is that little statue, Uh you know, the Lord of the Rings, right? The MacGuffin is yes. the ring, my the precious, ring of power. My right? yep. But in a in a in a mystery movie, the MacGuffin is Who Done It, right? In a in a horror movie, the MacGuffin is, um, you know, getting out safe, right? The way out. Oh yeah. So but so every movie you've ever seen, every scripted TV show has got a MacGuffin.
3: And our guest today is Steve Sanders. He's the Executive Vice President of Marketing and Product Development at Interactive Brokers Group. With crypto, are you concerned about some of the changes in the environment over the last, let's say, six months compared to when you first got into the crypto space? Is, it, is, there, is there any of this whole FTX thing or any of the things that are going on with some this lending-based? Is that something that's troubling you?
15: no because our crypto is held in custody at at Paxos now now keep in mind our main business is not is not crypto right. we we got into crypto and we also offer crypto futures and options because some of our clients said, well, we want to, you know, diversify our portfolio a little bit and maybe buy a little a little bit of crypto for the portfolio, as well as advisors who wanted to maybe buy some of it for their clients. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, as I said, we 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 could have gone and got all the transmitter licenses to do it ourselves because crypto is the only product where we don't self-clear and self-execute. But we decided not to. We decided to go with Paxos, who's a custodian, who's co- completely, you know, safe and, you know, kind of outsourced that one. But, you know, as I said, it's not a it's not a big, huge business for us. And and um, we're not into the trading of it or or the other types of risky things. Mm-hmm. I got you.
3: Yeah, because what, what's, what's, what I find fascinating about this whole. Crypto world, uh, aside from the fact that I never really understood why it was so unnecessary besides greed and all the usual things that go into it and why then it fell down, the whole, the extraordinary amount of leverage that was put on this stuff. It was, you know, crap on top of shit, on top of throw up, on top of puke, on top of gross. That's, and then, and then all, and then all disappeared. Everybody's like, whoa, how'd that happen? It's like, well, I mean, you know, it it was, it
15: it was nothing to begin with. I certainly don't want to give advice, you know, on, on anything, I get it. but I, I kind of always saw crypto as a, a solution in search of a problem. Yeah. I- well, that's it. That is the summation
3: of our discussions. Good hours worth of information from all these various people, a lot of a lot of different guests, right? I mean, quick snippets, quick discussions, uh tap on, tap off. We're going to end it right there. I want to wish everybody the most wonderful, wonderful holiday, spending time hopefully with your family and friends, enjoying some time off through these Mondays that we have off. And, of course, as we get back to 2023, I don't think a light is just going to go from red to green here, but there's going to be opportunities. Let's believe in that. I believe in you. Thank you for believing in me. I will see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk, Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.